Welcome to the Athlete Diaries. I'm your host, Guy Walker. On this podcast, I take you through the journeys and challenges of professional athletes, from resilience to mental health and life away from sport. AFL Hall of Famer, three-time All-Australian and Richmond Team of the Century member are just a few of the accolades for this man, the Tiger King, Matthew Richardson. Richo, as he's known to many, spent his entire career down at Punt Road, and although he had plenty of individual success and accolades, he never got the chance to play in a Richmond Grand Final. Fast forward to 2017, Richo was chosen by the Tigers CEO and President as the man to hand over the Premiership Cup if Richmond were to win the flag, which they went on to do against Adelaide. Richo talks about the emotion he went through from all those years without team success during his playing career and the passing of his father who also put the Richmond jumper on for many years which made the day so special. Richo is one of the greats of the game who has inspired so many young footballers with Richo posters all over their bedrooms. Off the field, he's a man that lives to his values by respecting anyone he crosses paths with. This is one you don't want to miss. Enjoy. Matty Richardson, welcome to the Athlete Diaries, mate. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. Ah, great to be here, Guy. Thanks for having me. Uh, we'll start off with a few questions like uh, like the last few episodes have, mate. I, I hope I've sent them through very late to you, so not sure if you got to have a look at them, but um, we'll, uh, we'll start off a with a quick yeah. look. <laughs> yeah, okay, beautiful. We'll uh, we'll get started there. What's what's one thing now you look back on your career that you wish that you are uh, you knew before before you began? Yeah, it's a good question. I had to, I think about it, and you know, I think part of the beauty of starting out a sporting career and and heading into heading into a career when you're a young person is I reckon it's not knowing what, where the journey's going to take you. So I had to think about it, and I, I I don't think I'd want to know anything. I think I enjoyed the ups and downs of the ride, and if you you know things before you start, you you maybe you won't get that. So. I think I enjoyed my, my career, even though there's plenty of ups and, and plenty of downs, probably more downs than ups. Um, I don't think I would have wanted to know about any of those things. I think that's the beauty of playing sport, the uncertainty of it. You never know what you're going to get from one week to the next, one game to the next, one season to the next. So if I started over again, I think I like the fact that you don't know where it's going to take you. Mate, that, that's an awesome answer. That, that's one I haven't got before, um, but it makes a lot of sense. Like I've I brought up a few times now that. Um, one of my good mates and had him on the show a couple of months ago. Big, um, big Duke Johnny Hastings. Is yeah. he? He said in um, when I when I sort of asked him this question was that as a young fella, you've almost got to learn the mistakes. Doesn't matter how many yeah. influential older guys that you speak to, you've almost as a young fella got to make some mistakes to sort of learn from them. So that's an awesome yeah. answer. Yeah, I think you know a lot of sportsmen would say if they had their time again, they knew how hard you have to work. But um, you know, and a lot of people. A lot of athletes say, I wish I, I had to put the work in when I first started. You know, it took me a while to realise that. But if I, I look back at my career and I felt like I, I worked hard from the start. That's one thing I prided myself on was training hard and and uh, and working hard. So I think I did that right from the start. So if there was one thing a lot of athletes say is, you know, if I had known the work that was required, I would have done it earlier, you know, maybe. Yeah. It takes a while to learn that work ethic. But I think... You know, regardless of how I played early days, I felt like I prepared pretty well with my physical training. So, um, yeah, that would be one thing a lot of people say, but uh, I can't say that because I think that I did do that. Yeah, it's, that's awesome, mate. It's uh, it's definitely a learning curve for, for some players um, in their careers. Who, who was someone that was really, or was there multiple people in your career and in life that were really influential? 
Yeah, look, well, I grew up in Tasmania in a in a, yeah. a small town, Devonport, twenty five thousand people, and you know, I always wanted to be a sportsman. I played a lot of sport, cricket, and and football, and and basketball. I guess basketball and football were the the two that I enjoyed the most. Um, and look, I think the biggest influence on my career was was my father. And he, he look, he wasn't a big voice. He didn't tell me what to do. He didn't tell me how to play the game. He was more of an influence just because of the career that he'd had. I really aspired to, to emulate him. My dad played for Richmond in the 1960s. He played in a premiership team. And I just always wanted to, to follow in his footsteps. So probably without even pushing me, Dad, he wasn't a pushy father, but yep. just his career was my inspiration more than anything. And you know, I spent countless hours reading scrapbooks that his mother had uh, put together for him through his career. And yeah, it really motivated me to, to want to follow in his footsteps. So... Yeah, yeah my, my, my father would be probably the biggest influence, as I said, without pushing me. And my mum, she just, I think mum taught me pretty good values right from day one, you know, about respect yeah. and um, about working towards things. And, um, yeah, so definitely my parents were the biggest influence. Yeah, that, that's so cool because something that I've, I've sort of realised over the last couple of years is that it's almost like the the fathers that were professional athletes are, one, are the the fathers that aren't pushy, and it's the fathers yeah. that sort of weren't professional athletes that push their kids and try to live their their lives for their kids. So it's funny how many how many times that that answer comes consistently with fathers that have played professional sport because they probably know how hard it is, and and that you want to try to let your son enjoy it for as long as you possibly can because then it, it soon becomes very intense, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that's right, and you know I don't. I probably didn't realise it at the time. At the time, I reckon I probably wanted my father to say more. You know, I was always <laughs> wanting him to talk more about football and and maybe offer more advice. But now looking back, I see why. And I, I hope that I do the same thing. I've got two daughters now and if they ever play sport, I think I'll be the same as, as my dad. I'll encourage them. And, yeah. you know, I think sport's really important for your development when you're young. I'll encourage them to play, but I won't push them. I want them to enjoy it because... Yeah. You look back, your formative years playing sport, the, the fun that I had and the mates that I that I got out of playing sport in high school and, and primary school, you know, I've still got a lot of friends for life from there and you've got to enjoy it. They're the best times, you know, they're fun times. So, yeah, I appreciate that Dad didn't push me now probably. Yeah. Um, mate, you would have got a lot of them obviously over your career, some amazing compliments. Um, but is there any that really stick out to you, a funny or a, or a really good compliment that, that really sticks out to you over over the, your journey? Well, there's been plenty of uncomplimentary <laughs> <laughs> comments over the years. You, you, you probably get more negative feedback than, yeah. than positive feedback in, in professional sport because, you know, you've got your own supporters that want you to do well and then the opposition supporters, they don't, they don't want you to do well at all. So they've got plenty of feedback. It's a good question because I, it's, it was hard to think yeah. about one, but then it, it sort of struck me just uh, before we came on air. Before the, the biggest compliment I ever received now, I think, was um, just before Richmond's uh, 2017 Premiership. I do some work at the Richmond Football Club still, yeah. um, just in the media department. So I'm down at the club where I was before, obviously before all of this happened. But I was working at the club in 2017, and I think it was the, the Thursday before the prelim final when Richmond were playing GWS. And the CEO of the Richmond Football Club and a good mate of mine, Brendan Gale, called me into his office. And uh, I'm only in there one day a week, and it was generally a Tuesday. 
And I thought, gee, this is strange. Benny's never called me into his office. I thought, geez, I'm going to get, I might be getting the sack here, you know. <laughs> I've been, I've had it too good for too long, you know. I'm still working at the club that I played at and it's yeah. probably time. I thought, oh, fair enough, probably time to go. And I walked into his office and he said, I'll have a seat, Richo. And I sat down and he said, mate, uh, the Richmond Footy Club board has made the decision that we would love you if we were to win the premiership, we would love you to be the the person to present the cup. And I went, geez, I, I sort of was a bit shocked and staggered and I sort of said, oh, why me, Benny, you know, because I was thinking of people like Kevin Bartlett, Francis Burke, you know, Michael Roach, Dale Waitman, even Tony Jill, the last premiership coach of Richmond in 1980. I thought they were more obvious choices to present the next cup because there'd been a big drought, a 37-year drought. And I said, why me? And he said, well, Richo, you know, we've had this drought from, you know, the 1982 grand final, which we lost to Carlton until now. Now we may have a chance to win another one. And he said, we feel that, you know, you played in that era, which wasn't that successful, but you helped bridge the gap and, you know, you kept people coming to the footy as Richmond supporters. And I went, wow, that, you know, that was, that was a big compliment for me because I didn't have success as a player, um, but Brendan and the club, thought that I played a part in keeping the supporters involved with the club over those barren years. So looking back, I feel that was a really big compliment for me and uh, I'm forever grateful that I got that chance. But I walked out of his office and I thought, wow, what an opportunity, you know, to be on the MCG grand final day and present the cup if Richmond win. And I wanted to ring someone. I thought, you know, I've got to ring mum. That was the first person that came to mind. And then I thought, oh, hang on. We haven't even beaten GWS yet in the prelims. <laughs> I get too excited. I think the AFL had the four prelim final teams. You had to nominate someone that that week. Yeah. Um, so I thought, don't get too excited. Let's just win the prelim. And, and Richmond did. And myself and Mark Bickley were the two people from each club that had that opportunity. And lucky enough, Richmond won. And, yeah, it was a great moment. And uh, it was a great compliment to be able to do it. That's incredible, mate. Like, And I think you're very, very modest. Like, I, I, like my generation and sort of blokes my age now mid-20s is is we can sort of remember Richmond struggling when you were there and but you were the, always a shining light you were always that player that that everyone some of my mates had you had your poster all over their wall so I'm, I'm going to re- revisit the last couple of questions I had to you and and I want to bring up that that grand final is that like it's an amazing, amazing career that you had. 282 games, 800 goals, three-time All-Australian, 13 times Richmond's leading goal kicker, AFL Hall of Fame, a Richmond team of the century, but you didn't get that premiership or you didn't play a lot of finals. What was that moment like for you to see that that success the club has had now, but especially that first grand final of of winning 2017 and then and then sort of handing over the cup what was that because I, I I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have watched the video of of the emotion that you went through that emotional roller coaster can you sort of talk us through that yeah I've, I've answered it a, a bit over the years the yep. last few years and yeah the the emotion it, it came from two two levels I guess um you know that I was sitting there and it was halfway through the last quarter and it was pretty obvious by that yep. stage that Richmond were probably going to win, but I still didn't want to believe it, you know, because, it, you yeah. know, I'd seen teams roll Richmond from behind a lot. <laughs> so I could, I didn't want to believe it. And I had Tim Watson sitting next to me and he he sort of tapped me, said, you've, you've got it. And then I think Dan Butler kicked a goal and I think it put Richmond, I think they went up 42 points. So I don't know, the can't remember the exact margin. But anyway, 
it was six or seven goals and it was about five minutes left. And it was at that moment you realised there was no chance the Crows could peg that back. But I was sitting there on the boundary and we've got a monitor on the boundary line because I was working for Channel 7 on the day. Yeah. And they flashed just some pictures of Brendan Gale up in the grandstand with, with Peggy O'Neill, the president of the club. And his Brendan's brother, Michael, when they were embracing my, I played with Michael as well at Richmond, Michael Gale. And I could see they were getting upset. And then that was the, that was the trigger for me. Uh, and then I thought about my old man who had passed away uh, two years previous. And yeah. I thought, geez, dad, dad would love to see this. You know, he, yeah. he was, you know, the last few years of his life, he was, he was just hoping to see another premiership. And unfortunately, it didn't happen. So I started thinking about him and then I just lost it. So yeah, yeah it was a very emotional day. Uh, I've been a Richmond supporter, as I said, all my life. And um, I think in my own mind, I'd, I'd given up on Richmond winning another premiership. You know, I just sort of didn't yeah. even think about it because you just get let down, you know, if you get too <laughs> excited. So yeah, it was just um, an unbelievable day. Once I calmed down, it was it was really joyous out on the ground. Um, and then to actually walk up there and, and hand over the cup and have the Richmond fans chanting and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, day I'll never forget. Yeah, mate, it, was, it looked incredible. Like it's a, I, I watched that vision just before coming on here, and it was, it even sort of like pulled at the heartstrings, I guess, to see your career and 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 to see like the the success that that the Tigers have had in the last sort of four or five years, and and you've been able to 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 be around the club, like you said, in, in the media team. And what what's been the change? Has it been just the personnel of the club? Has it been the culture? Um, what do you think has been probably the main difference from when you were at the club to, to what it is now? Because they're an absolute powerhouse now. Yeah, look, it's hard for me to say really what happened within the actual change rooms because I'm I'm really removed from all of that. Um, you know, I've been retired seven or eight years by that stage, so I didn't really have any really close bonds with any of the players because the players that I played with that were still around, Shane Edwards, Koch and Rewald, they were only yeah. 18, 19 when I played yeah. with them in my last year. So I'm friends with them, but I'm not, I don't have that close, close-knit best mate sort of thing with them. So yeah. from a playing point of view, I can't sit here and say I know what happened, but I think the culture did change over time with, with Damien Hardwick. But I think yeah. the biggest driver of that was the leadership from the top. Um, from the from the president Peggy O'Neill and Brendan Gale, um, just really strong leadership. Um, they didn't they didn't deviate from what they wanted to, to achieve when they hired Damien Hardwick as coach, and they came under a lot of pressure in 2016. Yeah. Damien had had seven years. Uh, the media was suggesting maybe it was time to move on because they'd had a poor year in 2016. Um, but Brendan and and Peggy didn't deviate. You know, they stuck by their decision to, to stick it out with, with Damien and um, they're under pressure to maybe make a change. So I think that mm. strong leadership showed faith in Damien and then, you know, eventually um, everything clicked for them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because uh, You need personnel right. as well. Obviously, they yeah, had yeah. some really talented players, but, yeah. you know, plenty of clubs have had talent over the years and haven't been able to get the best out of it. Yeah, and it wasn't. Yeah, like you said, it was sort of he was under a bit of under a bit of pressure, and the media were were calling for his head in two thousand sixteen. And that leadership of of Brendan Gale, like you just look at it and you go, well, look at the look at the club now. Like they're absolute powerhouses of the competition. One thing, I'll, I'll, I, one question, I sort of want to revisit with you is: is you touched upon it a little bit before about about your mother and, and values? Is is what what are your key values, and and have they changed over the years since you since you retired? 
Uh, not really. No, they're pretty yeah. basic values. I think I think it's just what I saw uh, growing up with my, my mum is she just treat everyone the same and, and with respect. And I can actually take it back. I remember as a kid I went and watched a cricket game at the Devonport Oval. It was yeah. a good lesson to learn, but I went and watched an England versus the West Indies um, one day in a national at Devonport Oval. Would have been good to watch that. Yeah, it's the only time there's ever been an international game in Devonport. Yeah. And I went down to the nets at the Devonport Oval with a few mates and we're watching the English batsmen uh, in the nets the day before the game and we had our autograph books and it was a batsman in the nets called Bill Athey who played you know, a fair bit of cricket for England, Test and one day. And we were waiting for ages. There weren't many kids there. You know? And he walked out of the nets and I asked him for an autograph and he just blanked me and kept walking. And I, yeah. I couldn't believe it. I was, I was actually really furious. I thought, what? There's no one around. And, you know, I wouldn't have taken more than five seconds of his time and it really stayed with me. And the next day he actually got bowled for a duck by Malcolm Marshall, the great West Indian. Yeah. Actually wrapped. I thought, you deserve, you know, you deserve that. <laughs> When I started playing for Richmond and, and kids started asking me for autographs, I thought, don't ever do that. And, look, yeah. there may have been a time over 15, 16 years where I missed someone or, and yeah. I, you know, your, your time, you know, is is taken up a lot when you're, you're doing that. But I think I try to treat everyone the same um, and I think that's a good way to live. Um, yeah. And I guess my other value is just work harder in whatever you're doing, whatever job you have or sport you're playing or just anything that you're doing. I think if you put the work in, you, you get the rewards. So they're pretty simple. Treat everyone with respect and, and work hard. Yeah, that, that's awesome, mate, because I, I, this is the first time I've ever, met, I've ever met you, but just the way you come across in the media as well, you come across as a very respectful, uh, mellow kind of guy that has time for everyone. And, and it's funny, isn't it, like how sort of them moments, you're probably so young, but you still remember those moments and, and kids yeah. remember that too. Like I, I've got friends that, that got autographs from you when, when they were younger and they've, they've been Richmond fans for life, probably some of them because of that. So like, I think I'm the same as you. I, I, it happened to me as well when I was younger. I think I got blanked by, by a couple of cricketers and I, was, I wanted to become a professional cricketer and yeah. you remember it, don't you? And you just yeah, think, yeah. I'll never, yeah, I'll never do that. So yeah. You know what, then some someone might listen to this podcast and say, hey, I was asking for an autograph at Punt Road one day and you missed me. So, look, yeah. the, I'm sure there has been a moment and over the journey or maybe maybe more, but I think overall, you know, I'd like to think 98% of the time I, I yep. always tried to give them a time there. Yeah. I, I was speaking to one of your mates um, and uh, yeah, I think he stitched you up a little bit. Uh, he said that he was telling you about this new show on, on Netflix, mate, and he said, he said, oh, mate, I think there's a, there's a show about you and it's called The Tiger King. Um, and you turn around and you said, oh, is, is, is it a documentary about me? <laughs> that, didn't, <laughs> that didn't happen. I'd love to know who that was. <laughs> no, it's an absolute stitch up there. But it, it, I've, I might have I've, been uh, tongue in cheek. I might have been tongue in cheek. <laughs> That's hilarious. Is it, um, it about him. What's that? Jake King, the push-up king, thought it was about him. <laughs> one of the one of the most bizarre documentaries I've ever yeah. seen as well. Probably would have been better if it was about you anyway. But um, oh, one thing that I've sort of would love to to know about you is um, sort of this time of year right now is is when some AFL players are 
unfortunately losing their contracts and and it happens in all sport i guess is, is transitioning from the game it, it's a very tough thing for to do I, I went through it sort of last year and i was kind of lucky because i was always injured anyway but um it, it is a tough thing to do how did you sort of go about that because i read i read that you had a couple of injuries and you sort of made use of your time to, to go and work with the media was the media something that you always wanted to get into and, and how did you find that transition period uh, it wasn't. I never really, I, I can't remember ever harbouring any ambition to do it. In fact, I probably thought I'd move away from yeah. footy and do something else. But, yeah, look, I got, I was it sort of fell into it, to be honest. I'm not going to yeah. say I had some grand plan because I didn't. Look, I had done some work in the media over the years. I'd done the footy show a little bit here and there yeah. on Channel 9. Um, but at the start of 2009, my last year, I actually got injured. I, I ripped my hammy off the bone in round yeah. five. And I had hamstring surgery and I remember talking to my manager at the time and I said, mate, you know, I'm uncontracted at the end of the year. Look, I'd like to see if I can come back. But I think in the back of my mind I thought I'm going to battle here. You know, my hammy had been ordinary for a couple of years and, you know, I knew that this surgery was probably going to be the end of me. So I had the surgery but I spoke to my manager and I said, mate, maybe I should try and see if I can get a few little gigs, you know, in the media, give it a go while I'm out injured. And he said, yeah, we'll, we'll go and have a look at it. And he actually got me a, a couple of spots, a few little radio spots here and there doing some comments. And there was a show on Channel 10 at the time called One Week at a Time. It was like an on-the-couch yeah. type show with Stephen Quartermain and Robert Walls. And they, they got me a few little guest spots on there and I sort of half enjoyed it. Um, I didn't think I was any good at it, but I, I enjoyed it and I thought maybe, you know, maybe just maybe this could be a future for me. So anyway... Fast forward to the end of the year, I retired and, um, you know, my manager put the feelers out there and, yeah, I was just lucky that Channel 7 and 3RW, you know, offered me a job and I'm still doing it now, still with those same employers and what's that 10, 10 years later now? So, yeah. Um, yeah, I was lucky. But I guess once you get the job, you've then got to be able to, to do it and, you yeah. know, you improve as you go. I remember the first first night on Channel 7, I, I nearly fainted when they crossed down <laughs> So it's the most nervous I've ever been. You can really? count on career, anything. Yeah, the first live cross on yeah. uh, it was a NAB Cup game in Perth and uh, I felt like my legs were going out from under me. So, yeah, they throw you in the deep end a little bit. I didn't have any real training. So you learn on the job and, yeah, yeah still doing it. So yeah, I'm very – No, you're very, very, very good operator now, mate. Like a, I'd, I'd – um, from what I've, I've seen of sort of watching the, the footy at the moment and sort of live crosses or even a halftime break, mate, you've, you've obviously improved if you were not that great at the start. You're a very, very good operator now doing it. So it's something that you've obviously improved that a lot. Is it, is it, are you sort of looking to, to stay in that sort of field or is this some other things that you're doing as well sort of when the footy season finishes? Yeah, look, I still enjoy it and I'd, I'd like to yep. think I can, can keep doing it. Yeah, so... Um, at the moment, I'm, I'm hoping to stay involved. I mean, it's it's you're very lucky to to go and watch football games and comment on football football games for a living. I, I would never yeah. have thought I'd still be doing it. At, you know, the age of 45. So, yeah, I'd like to keep doing it. I, I feel like I can still still do it. And any presenting in any way, you know, it doesn't have to be a sport. You know, if I can yeah. get into any sort of presenting, I enjoy hosting events, emceeing. Yeah. So yeah, that, I'm happy doing that at the moment, and, and something I want to stay in. Yeah, and during your your career, obviously it was a very illustrious career. Um, like a lot of players, sort of, you would have seen it as well. Is that they sort of the average career might be four or five years, and 
a new sort of out. How much sort of um, time away from footy did you did you put in? Was it were you someone that just gave up all your time for footy and was so passionate about it? Or when you're away from it, did you try to really get away from it or study, do a bit of work experience? What were you like when you were playing? I was probably I was a footy head. I struggled yeah. to switch off from the game. I was pretty driven to to try and succeed. So it did consume me a lot. And it probably took me until my late 20s to learn to just switch off a little bit. I went and did a, a sort of a personal development course over a sort of summer when I was 29. And the person that I did it with, it was a one-on-one personal development course. And the, the gentleman that I did it with, he said, what do you want to achieve by the end of this? And I said, look, just maybe change a bit of perception about myself, you know, within the yeah. media and the footy world because, you know, I did have some some faults around my game and the way I guess I conducted myself out on the ground. Um, I spat the dummy basically is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, so I think I became a little bit more calm after that and I became a yeah. more consistent player and a part of that was just not worrying about, you know, what everyone said in the media or, you know, social media was probably just starting at that time. Yeah. I probably just got my head out of all of that and just worried about the, who was important. And uh, yeah. I feel like I played my most consistent footy after that period. So, yeah, I was a footy head, and uh, but I did learn to get my head out of the game. How did I do it? I Look, I really just enjoyed, you know, on weekends after a, a footy game. I love live music, so I love to get to a gig and that was yeah. my time to switch off and relax probably. Who is it? Who's the gigs you used to see? Who's your Who's your favourites? Oh, I just just I'm into rock music, so anything yeah. with guitars and, and drums, are, you know, I'm happy with. So um, yeah. there's plenty of that in Melbourne. Obviously not at the moment, but you know, yeah. there's so many great live music venues in Melbourne. So yeah, that was my way to get away from things. Yeah, cool. And and sort of what's what's been like for for you since since finishing up. Obviously, um, a father now is, is is life perspective sort of changed now. It mellowed you out a little bit. And and sort of what are you what are you up to now then? Yeah, pretty. You know, life was all. I was pretty selfish in my footy career. It was all about. You have to be though, don't you? You do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably why I didn't, um, you know, get married or have children until I finished playing because I, I just don't think I was ready for it. I was too selfish and worried about my my sporting career. Um, now that I've had a family, that that's obviously my focus now, and that's what I do. Everything, you know, you go out and work, and that's what you, you you're living life for now. I've got two young daughters, and yeah, I'm looking forward to what happens next with them. Yeah, awesome, mate. No, well, uh, it's been awesome to have you on, mate. I know you got a know you got a commitment now. So, but thank you for thank you for coming on and, and that bit of insight into your life and your career. And it's been been awesome, mate. And I, I appreciate you uh, you coming on, Richo. Nah, thanks for your time, and yeah. Can't wait to have a listen. Whether you're a Richmond fan or not, I hope you enjoyed the insights to who was a star of the competition. I know you've got a lot of things to do and places to be, but I'd really appreciate the support of sharing the episode with family and friends and giving the show a review. I hope you got plenty out of the chat and get in touch if you have any questions. Have a great week.